The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss how the mobility landscape impacts marketers. Joining us is Matt Tubergen, who is the Executive Vice President of Digital Turbine Media. Digital Turbine Media is an on-device media platform that makes it easier than ever for people to discover new apps and content. And for operators and OEMs, their service helps them boost revenue. And for advertisers, it helps them reach users at scale. And today, Matt and I are going to talk about mastering mobile app discoverability. All right, here's the first part of my conversation with Matt Tubergen, Executive Vice President of Digital Turbine Media. Matt, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Very excited to have you here. Excited to talk a little bit about the small screen, about software distribution in an area that is taking over the world, mobile apps and mobile app distribution. First off, I gave a general overview of what your company is, but tell me a little bit about Digital Turbine Media. What do you guys do? Happy to. Digital Turbine really helps marry app developers and great app brands with carriers and OEMs. And we do that through a piece of technology that we call Ignite that actually gets embedded in the operating system. And so you as a user, if you've ever gone and bought a cell phone and it had you know LinkedIn or Facebook automatically embedded or Yelp embedded in the device that requires a piece of technology that my company develops and designs and works with all of our great carrier and OEM partners. And then specifically for Digital Turbine Media, we're responsible for working with all the applications, brands, agencies out there to get their applications integrated with our telecom platform. All right. So I want to go through a little bit of detail on a couple different classes of players that are involved in mobile app distribution because I think it's worth noting how these relationships work. First off, you mentioned OEM, original equipment manufacturer. These are the people making the phones. That's the Apples of the world, Samsung, LG, people that are actually making the phones, and they essentially install their own operating system. But there's a little kind of gray area there where there's the Android operating system that people are using. So talk to me about what flexibility the OEMs have in terms of what software ends up on the device. So a lot of folks actually don't know when you go and you buy a Verizon phone or you buy an AT&T phone or you buy a Samsung phone, again, all Android, each carrier and OEM has their own little flavor of Android. And you know I think what Google's done a really good job of is, is having 
a flexible platform with the acquisition of Android and expanding on the platform. And it's allowed for carriers and OEMs to customize their software that sits on the phone. So in some cases, there may be extra social features or there may be extra widgets or extra consumer applications that are beneficial to the user that they embed on the device and allow for a greater feature set for the user. So a generic version of Android is not just a generic version of Android. It actually typically includes some software carrier tech that allows Android to run on you know, a Verizon phone versus a Samsung phone versus an AT&T phone. So you mentioned that you know there's the OEMs, the LGs, the Samsungs, the Apples of the world that take the operating system from, I don't even know what to call Google in this case, but then they also have to go through the carriers. And really it's the carriers that are deciding what software is bundled on the phone when it's delivered to the end consumer. Am I correct? Mostly. So it's actually pretty interesting. What's happened in the world of Android, and this goes for actually all uh, OSs for that matter, is that typically whoever sells the device gets to customize the firmware as it's getting sold. So most folks don't realize this. And so when you think you may go and you buy a Samsung phone, even from Verizon, that is a Samsung firmware build. No, it's actually the Verizon firmware build. So if you go and you buy a Samsung device, say in Brazil, you may get a Claro build or a Telefonica build, right? So depends on who sells the device. Now, OEMs do also sell their own phones. So you can go and buy an open market Samsung device in the US, and it will be the Samsung version of that phone. But if you buy it from a carrier, and by the way, in the US, you know, majority of cell phones are bought at the carrier. If you go outside of the US, they're typically bought at retail, which is the OEM builds. So it's really whoever sells the device. So there's also the Apple devices, the iOS devices, which are mostly, I would assume, sold by Apple, not necessarily by the carriers, or at least I'd go into the Apple store and I buy my new phone. I'm not exactly waiting online like everybody used to, but people are buying directly through the store. So is that AT&T is deciding what to put on the phones in the Apple store, or is that an Apple build that I'm getting? Typically, they're even within Apple, even though Apple's ecosystem is clamped down a little bit more, there is customization. So a Verizon Apple phone can be different than an AT&T Apple phone in terms of you know my Verizon being on your Apple device versus the AT&T customer service app being on an Apple device. So there is some differences, yeah. So from a marketing perspective, the relationships you want to have are with the carriers if you're trying to have some sort of a presence pre-installed on the phone. That's correct, yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about those carrier relationships. I used to work for eBay, and this was a little over 10 years ago. And used to be, hey, I'm Ben from eBay, I'm calling Verizon, and let's go figure out a deal to do some app distribution, get the eBay desktop icon or the eBay mobile app on their devices. I can't just make a Ben J. Shap LLC MarTech podcast app and go call Verizon. So how do people take advantage of doing app distribution through the carriers if they're not a top Fortune 50 brand? So that's part of one of the problems that we've been solving over the last seven years now of running this business in the sense of even you know companies like eBay or like LinkedIn or insert large app partner to go and get in front of the AT&Ts, the Verizons, the Crickets, the T-Mobiles to go and, and do large business development deals across the board takes a tremendous amount of time, is a heavy lift. And that's assuming you can even get in front of the right people. 
So what we've done is we basically democratize this process whereby app developers, brands, and apps can basically come to Digital Turbine. And we act as a media arm towards for all of our carrier and OEM partners that integrate our technology. So in this case, eBay would actually come to Digital Turbine, do one deal with Digital Turbine, and then we distribute that deal across all of our 40-plus carrier and OEM partnerships. So that's essentially how we're solving that problem today. As an app developer or brand that wanted to do those deals directly, it's very challenging. It's a heavy lift. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of applications out there that would love to figure out how to get their application embedded on a device and just don't know how to go and navigate the carriers. And that's a problem that we solve. Before we get into the dynamics of getting your app placed on a phone, we'll use Digital Turbine as the delivery mechanism as the example. I want to talk about the value of having an application preloaded. And I think that there's some important distinctions to have here. One, preloaded, you're going to get your app in front of everyone, but they're not downloading and expressly saying, oh, I want this piece of software. So potentially the engagement is going to be less. I spent a good five years of my life negotiating the deals for eBay to have a fixed placement on like HP computers. And they were like $10 million deals. So there's value, at least from my perspective, of just having the distribution. But eBay's got this great unaided awareness. Who do the deals work for where you're doing distribution? Is it great for everyone? Do you have to be a specific type of brand to make sure it makes sense? Just walk me through how those app distribution deals work. One thing that I'll say is, and to your point is, maybe not be as high as intent for you know the media types. So how do you make this work on mobile? And you know, desktop used to be this way, but more than 50% of people do not download a new application on a monthly basis. So there's kind of one dynamic there. The other dynamic is that basically, if you look at the importance of app installs based on the time a device is sold, Having a newer device or having an app on a device at an early stage is dramatically important to the performance of an app developer. I have a theory. Fire away. It's about the placement. Think of it from an impression level. If my app is already there, people are generally lazy. They're probably not going to delete it. They might just ignore it. But if I'm there and I'm on that first page and every time somebody picks up their phone, they get a quick glance at my app, impression levels equal conversion. You nailed it, man. So back to your original question, which is like, hey, which applications and which brands and which category of applications work well, they tend to be high frequency of use applications. You know, Facebook, LinkedIn, I would even argue eBay in terms of frequency of use compared to other shopping sites or applications are much higher frequency of use. Gaming does incredibly well. Social, news, utilities all do incredibly well through preloading of applications and through our on-device technology. And so the counter is if it's a one-time use or if it's a low frequency of use applications. Photo editing. But yeah, I mean, so photo editing, I mean, there's some cases where it works, but if it's like a college you know, registration application or if, you know, whatever, it's a hand lotion application, right? Like there's all things that could be weird. What does a hand lotion application <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm looking across at a hand lotion. Yeah, so <laughs> there's so many crazy, I mean, with how many millions of apps are in the app store, Everybody wants to obviously have their application being at the top of the list. However, not every app makes sense to have their application in front of every user and the globe, whereas there are some applications. And like right now, about 50% of the applications we distribute today, and we do about 2 million a day, and that's growing pretty quickly, is about 50% is actually gaming, typically casual gaming. 
you know, users aren't really tied to a brand of match three or a brand of solitaire application, right? Typically, whatever is on their device is what they're going to play for the majority of the time. Now, there's certainly examples where that's not the case. But on the average, these high frequency of use applications typically don't need to have a specific brand that's necessarily tied to it, or at least for gaming. All right. So here's a case study. I white label or buy a white label solitaire app, something that's a utility that a lot of people might play frequently. And I want to put it on the front page, the first page of everyone in the world's phone. And I want to put advertising on it because, you know, when people open it, that's how I'm going to monetize. This is not crazy stuff. There's probably a million solitaire apps in the app store, but I'm willing to pay for distribution and hope that that drives enough ad revenue for me to make it worthwhile. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Walk me through what I need to think about from a placement and cost perspective. And then what do you think that does in terms of user generation and maybe even adoption, if you can speak to that? If we talk specifically about the on-device media that we're talking about here, it depends wildly based off device make, model, carrier, and region. And so we'll say just the average of the averages are average kind of what we call revenue per download, different from revenue per open. Um, when I say revenue, I say cost per download is anywhere between 50 to 75 cents. So it's not much. Now, the next typical question that we get from a lot of our partners is, hey, what's the average open rate? And typically, the average open rate in the first 30 days, and I'll go back to a point you made, the first 30 days is around 25 to 30%. However, after 90 to 180 days, if we look at 180 days, that open rate can get upwards of 60, 70. We have examples where we have 80% open rate after 180 days. So let's say it's a 50% open rate just to use an easy number. I'm paying, you said, 50 to 75 cents a download, and then half of them are going to open. So I'm paying a buck to a buck 50 to get somebody to open the application, that first use. 
then I'm assuming it depends what the app is to figure out what the engagement is. When you think about the ad revenue model, can you just help me sort of put the end of this together? Like where, what type of app and what type of engagement can you expect on average to try to figure out whether a buck to a buck 50 is actually a good distribution model for you? It wildly depends on the application type. You know, we see a lot of applications that, I mean, we work with 23 of the top 25 gaming companies today, and all of them have worked to fine tune their pricing and have worked to fine tune their monetization methods, both for in-app purchases, as well as advertising inside their applications. And some of them, they have no advertising upfront for maybe say the first 10, 15, 20 days to really secure and get a user embedded in using their application on a frequent basis. And then they start to turn up some of the in-app purchase you know, notifications as well as driving some of the advertising. In some cases, it can be very generic. You know, We've got you know, match three companies out there that are monetizing through ads on day one and sending down promotions of in-app purchases on day one. It really depends on the type of application, the quality of the application, and the onboarding experience. I think I can hands down say, hey, as an app developer, showing a full screen ad on first load right out of a preload is probably not a good idea. It's worth getting the user interested in your product and embedded with the product. Yeah. Right. We're going to try to drive some engagement, get people used to using us as their default solitaire app. We're getting this desired placement because we're preloaded. And hopefully the math works out to a higher lifetime value than a buck fifty. Hey, we know we're ROI positive on this. It works well. Yeah, bingo. I guess the other big thing to think about is the level of scale when you're talking about these types of distribution model. You're talking about anybody that has a cell phone. So when you're doing an app store distribution ad, how much control do you have on who it gets to, how many people are getting your application? What's targeting criteria? Specifically with our platform, we allow our app partners to target by device, make, model, carrier, and country. So we have a lot of app developers and brands that will start off on a series of devices and carriers that they think is kind of most applicable to the demographic. So example would be you know, LinkedIn on the high-end Samsung devices versus, say, a Match 3 or Solitaire game on, say, a low-end LG or something like that. So they target based on that. And there's different pricing dynamics that go in there. But every day, we activate around 400 to 500,000 devices globally. But is it something that can be dynamic? Can I say, hey, I want you to put me on every iPhone that's an AT&T iPhone in the U.S., but then after 100,000 installs, I want you to stop? Or is it like you're getting them for a long period of time, you got to have budget for millions of people, or can I really control and throttle it? So first off, we're only on Android. It's 100% only on Android, not on iOS. Okay. Number two is, yes, we can do daily capping, meaning that you can say, hey, listen, if you only want 10,000 users on US, you know, Verizon and AT&T devices, 10,000 preloads and 10,000 devices, we can cap that. We typically don't do deals that are, you know, less than $100,000, but we do have some partners that will come on in and trial it. But no, I think your question is, hey, do I need to have $10 million like I did at eBay to go do an HP deal? In this case, you know, an AT&T Verizon deal. The answer is no, but it certainly helps in terms of getting distribution because there's a lot of it. So, you know, most of our partners are spending seven figures a month there on the top side. So the last question I have for you today is, how do you evaluate the difference between being preloaded and what the costs associated for that are, as opposed to doing app store marketing, Facebook promotions, right? Doing your consumer marketing to try to distribute your app as opposed to just having it on the phone in advance. Luckily enough, there's a lot of great companies out there, the Tunes, or I actually said Tunes, the Kachavas, the Branches, the Apps Flyers, and the Adjusts of the world 
that are, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with these MMPs. MMP. Mobile measurement platforms. Okay. So these MMPs are integrated into applications. So you as a media buyer at LinkedIn or at a gaming company, you can integrate one of these MMPs, you know, Adjust or AppsFlyer, and you can track the performance both from a click to an install to any downstream event and eventually get to an LTV based on the traffic source that you ran with. And so as a marketer and as a marketing manager or CMO, these tools have been fantastic at at being able to frame up and tie the source of inventory to the performance of that inventory. So, you know, Digital Turbine, as well as many other platforms out there, like, you know, Google and, and other services, you know, promoting applications, can ingest these, essentially looks like a click URL, these click URLs, and can use it when running media, whether it's a display ad, whether it's a video ad, or even if it's a preload, can tie back the performance of that media spend, or that partnership in this case, to the LTV for that media buy or for that campaign manager. So do you find that having the apps pre-installed leads to higher LTV, or I guess what I'm asking is higher ROI, than going and marketing to someone who you think is likely to be interested in your app as opposed to just putting it on every phone? Short answer is in terms of LTV in 30 days, no. LTV in 30 days of preloading application is not higher than you would say either from an you know, organically getting a click from an app recommendation website or even paying for other display of media. However, return on ad spend typically tends to be a great deal higher over the course of 30, 60, 90, even 180 days compared to many other media types. And so the way that we like to advise our partners is, hey, listen, you know, on-device media, media digital turbine commands and controls is one leg of the stool. You've got search, you've got other app recommendation services that you're spending money on. Maybe you have display, whether it be video or static display advertising spends. And you've got your on-device media and preloading inventory. And we've seen budgets shift over the last four or five years from display advertising or even affiliate networks representing mobile app companies over to the on-device media that we manage just because the return on ad spend is so much better. If you can get in front of a user when they're buying a new device and exploring their phone, that trumps pretty much any other method today in terms of return on ad spend. Yeah, my takeaway is that when you're doing a pre-install, what you're doing is getting wide coverage. And so you're not going to be as targeted as you would if you are using some sort of another app distribution methodology that has more advanced targeting. So if you are a relatively generic app, Facebook, it might make sense to do some sort of a preloading distribution deal. And I'm sure that there are other apps that are a little less generic than Facebook that still have utility or their monetization works where they just want to spread it out to everybody. I can definitely say that I am happy that Digital Turbine wasn't around in 2007 when I was doing the distribution deals for eBay because I'm pretty sure I would have been out of a job. (laughs) With that said, that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Matt Tubergen, Executive Vice President at Digital Turbine Media, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Matt and I are going to discuss how mobile app developers are gearing up for 5G. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Matt, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on his Twitter handle, which is Digital Turbine, D-I-G-I-T-A-L-T-U-R-B-I-N-E. Or you can visit his company's website, which is DigitalTurbine.com.
Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.